Hello and welcome to Phil's Breakfast Metal, episode 121. In this episode, I've collected together a few sort of classic heavy metal albums I've got into in sort of recent years. They're not that thematically related, although there was sort of a collected time period to them. It's more of a general, I kind of wanted to talk about all these albums and have been struggling to fit them into like any specific show ideas, so I thought I'd just sort of put them all together here. I don't know that they're, as I say, I don't know that that related or there's actually much of a trend to them but they all kind of fit in that vein of like if you love your kind of Iron Maiden new wave of British heavy metal that kind of stuff I think a lot of this will appeal and yeah I've I've said this before but I found myself sort of getting more and more into this style over the last few years sort of having more time for that slightly I guess cheesier end of metal and and you know as something as I got older being able to wrap my head around kind of maybe rougher sort of rawer production that you do get with a lot of these albums that I say a lot we'll be talking about today are from like 1983 so kind of the early end of studios having to deal with with downtuned guitars and really fast double kicks um I'm going to go through these vaguely chronologically although as I say a lot of them come out in 1983 so I'll just sort of group those all randomly together so the first one I want to talk about is the debut album from Satan Caught in the Act so of the bands I'm covering today this is the only one who's actually strictly a new wave of British heavy metal band although I think a lot will be kinds who do take influence from that scene and for like context of time period this is like their debut is 1983 which puts it ever so slightly after sort of number of the beast like that's kind of the point we're at so that new wave of british heavy metal is sort of well established and you know i guess coming together as a sound although if you you look that genre is is incredibly or scene is incredibly broad but yeah satan are a band i've got sort of really into from that and they're a band i've kind of worked backwards through so i got really into sort of um around 2020 into their um cruel magic which is they have this quite interesting arc as a band actually where so they've got two albums in their first period, Caught in the Act, that we're going to be talking about, and then Suspended Sentence. And I assume they broke up after Suspended Sentence because they run out of cool uh, court-based puns. <laughs> but um, they, they then sort of disappear for quite a while and um, reform in... 2011 i think 2011 yeah and they've they've had four albums out after sort of reforming although they, they do have myriad albums under different names with slightly variant lineups but the four albums after reforming all feature the this the same lineup as caught in the act so they're like quite incredible thing of like there's there's five guys in the band who have all been there since 1983 who are still putting out this like really good like incredibly like tight and professional but still kind of quite inventive heavy metal to this day which um yeah i i find i find kind of incredible um i i spoke spoke at length about earth infernal their their latest album on the um into the combine end of year show like i was incredibly fond of that but um anyway to go back to the debut what kind of makes it really interesting is i think for those of you who really like that era of I Maiden before Bruce Dickinson joined, I feel this has got some of that energy where it's a little more punk and hard rock inspired. Like, there isn't so much of the the sort of absolute sort of ridiculous bombast, like that kind of heavy metal style. And a lot of what we'll cover can go into with Satan. They're a lot more... 
I don't know, like sort of restrained, particularly I think it's the vocals that do this, like Brian Ross, the vocalist, who actually joined the band very shortly before this album came out, um, he has this delivery which is quite kind of toned down and mid-range, like it's he's quite fast and catchy with it and, you know, it's 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 very impressive singing but he doesn't do the thing where he relies on the falsetto the whole time a lot of a lot of his style is this more restrained and he'll throw in the odd like ridiculously high-pitched scream but they're few and far between they're just to punctuate the the riff every so often um and i, I feel that really works in the band's favor because it means they just remain very very catchy without being totally overbearing the sort of the more flashy showy end of the band is definitely the the guitar duo of uh, Russ Tippins and Steve Ramsey like their guitar work and considering the time period as well is utterly ridiculous like I they apparently I've never seen them live friends of mine uh, like Donovan who's, who's been on the podcast before was saying he saw them and the guitaring was was amazing even now but in 1983 these guys are like they're just like absolute shredders and it's not that case where you got your quite simplistic riffing and then really flashy guitar solos. The guitar solos are flashy, but it's the the kind of the riff work is is immensely complex for a lot of these songs. They very technical, intricate stuff, and the the the, the rhythm sections also also doing doing a lot as well. But like the guitars particularly are what like really grabs me with Caught in the Act. There's just so many amazing riffs and amazing solos, like really kind of intricate but without without descending into kind of any true self-indulgence it's all kind of just cool riffing it's just very very impressive the thing that kind of makes court in the act a little harder to get into is the mix is somewhat lacking like just everything lacks a bit of punch in it which is a shame because but all the playing is brilliant the the as I say, the bass and drums are really solid, but they're it's nineteen eighty three. This is a debut album, so they probably didn't have as big a budget. Um and yeah, there's just something lacking. There's a lack of punch in the the sort of the bass and the kick drum. The vocals sound great, but yeah, they and the guitars just aren't thick enough in the mix. This is something that, you know, their comeback period would totally write. Like I really I really do love how later albums like Earth Inferno and Cruel Magic sound. They're they're pretty incredible. But all that doesn't detract really you just sort of i think you have to attune your ear to it for a moment there are so many sort of just absolutely brilliant tracks on this um towards the start we get blades of steel which has some of the coolest lead guitar work i really like actually the instrumental the ritual has this like because it's not again you'd think the instrumental track could be the bit where everyone shows off but actually it's, it's a very riffy song it's just got less of a traditional verse chorus structure that a lot of the a lot of the um other songs have and then then the closer break free it, it, yeah is a really really great kind of like slightly heavier one with a solo as well that's incredibly reminiscent to me of the solo from the final countdown but you know three years earlier so who knows maybe that's uh maybe europe took some influence from this one i really don't know with satan quite how sort of influential they have been they certainly got a name for themselves but i guess having that sort of short run of like two albums and then then sort of moving off to to various other projects like there's a whole thing of they with um 
a different vocalist formed a band called Blind Fury because they were worried about the name Satan making them seem too much like Venom, which is is obviously a band that's doing something very different to them. Like they're not a particularly sort of um yeah, despite that name Satan, they're not a particularly sort of evil band. They have that kind of classic heavy metal thing of like the albums aren't really on a theme. There's just lots of like it's a different idea for each song. So like we got a track about Vikings, a track about sort of the end of World War Two, some more like generalized like social issue stuff but I, I quite like the way they they do their lyrics actually they're not they're not the, the steve harris book report like they're far more i they feel kind of nice and open-ended like i'm not i'm not sure who um who sort of writes the lyrics but like it feels like brian ross is delivering them in such a way where there's a real a real good sense of you know op- like open-endedness to which i i, I kind of really like that Sorry, I just got a little distracted there because apparently the version of this I've got through Bandcamp has the tracks in the different order to the original. Don't know if there's any significance to that or if that's just a sort of glitch in how it was uploaded. But um, but yeah, anyway, like um, I, I think Satan are one of those bands that are really worth returning to. I do find it interesting as well that sort of much like your kind of Iron Maidens, they do also have their mascot of this this judge character and and lent to those two fantastic puns for the the first couple of albums and as i say they're a band that i think their their whole catalog is well worth delving into all six albums are really good also interestingly enough i i've got to check this band out at some point the the bassist uh, uh graham english and guitarist steve ramsey went on from this in kind of its quiet sort of middle period around like late 90s early 2000s to form skyclad with um the british sabbats vocalist which is ridiculous i've never checked out that band because i absolutely love the early sabbat stuff and are now so deep into satan so that'll definitely be a band i'll I'll be looking into particularly early career of um in in the near future
Next up, we're going across the channel with France's High Power and their self-titled debut from 1983, High Power. So, we're saying, like, sort of, Satan, like, sort of somewhat lacked a punch with their recording. High Power seemed to have the direct opposite, where there is almost too much punch with this recording. It feels like a kind of similar ethos the band were, were sort of taking that kind of you know, intense heavy metal, lots of focus on great lead guitar work, high vocals, but high power kind of turned the vocals up to 11, like the, the singer has like, is just absolutely sort of drenched in reverb in this, um, uh, Patrick Malbos, who, who sadly passed away, not only about 10 years after this album came out, um, but yeah, he's got this really high register voice and, as I say, really heaped in reverb and regularly going for these long held screams. But this done with enough kind of power and ferocity, it doesn't go into the cheesy as much as being like it's quite an sort of intense album for the genre, this one. Um immediately off putting though is it does have an album cover with a cat person to rival the debut Pantera albums, possibly for silliness. But um, if you can look past the slightly goofy cover, the what's on display here, I I sort of really enjoy like the um the opening track, uh, Cassie Toi, um, is just you know lots of really fast, high intensity riffs, loads of kind of great lead guitar work. I like something about the vocal delivery as well. It feels less show offy and more just kind of. You know, it's very catchy. Um, there's a lot of, like, sort of kind of sing-along moments if you can attempt to get anywhere near his pitch. But what I was saying about this album having almost too much punch is the mix of it, like, there is a far more drums, far more full drum sound, far more kind of full guitar sound, but everything seems like it's kind of breaking the mix. There's a level of distortion to the vocals where it kind of sounds like they're almost too loud for the microphone that was recording them. And there's a similar level of, like, distortion added on everything else that kind of almost feels like it's kind of, you know, breaking out, like, sort of cracking past where it's meant to be, which is is kind of a shame, but also it doesn't really spoil it. It like, kind of gives it quite a nice energy, this sort of intense over-the-top feel. I like as well how this album kind of feels quite heavy because of how kind of punchy the guitar work is. There's a lot of these like really fast, almost like stop-start riffs and like because of the heaviness of the tone, it's kind of really crunchy and gnarly. But the drum work is often like quite simple or, or like maybe not even simple, it's just not as fast. Like he's doing like the drummer's regularly varying things up but they, they never really go into, like, a super fast, like, double kick beat or anything like this. Like, I'm certain this album must have been re recorded with a single pedal because he, the kicks just aren't aren't kind of what you'd expect from this, especially considering sort of how heavy it is. Whereas, like, yeah, the guitars kind of really fill the space. There's hardly any, any especially in the first chord tracks, any bits where it isn't just, you know, as many notes as they can throw in a second. Even when the riffs kind of, like pull back to being very basic um yeah there'll be like one lead guitar sort of shredding away and as that aforementioned like really in your face um vocal delivery there's two tracks where they sort of vary things up though where like, things get a little bit more long form in uh Offran chanel sorry I, I don't speak french so i'm definitely post uh, pronouncing these wrongs which i quite enjoyed that one had like a really gradual build-up it's almost like a 10 minute long song to like a really epic dramatic middle section with all this fancy sort of 
lead guitar work and then towards the end of the album uh we have common and dam which is like mainly led by keyboards there's not really a keyboard presence on the rest of this album but there's loads of these sort of echoing synths on this um it feels more ballad territory and i i know it was a very common thing in this era to throw in the the ballad song the the kind of mellow it out one and high power like <laughs> they are great when living up to their name like the the slowing it down doesn't really work in their favor and like the melodic sleeve section of this song is is really solid but i for me this is less interesting than when they're sort of going flat out like in some of the other tracks but overall a really really interesting debut I, they've got a follow-up album as well that i've uh i've not had chance to check out but um yeah and then sadly i don't i don't think a lot of the guys in the band went on to sort of all that much afterwards as far as i can tell but yeah it's an amazingly cool debut and it's one of those interesting things like i i feel there's so much to be found in the french scene like this because other than say in recent years obviously with gojira there's been a lot more sort of attention on it and then they've had a couple of different successful waves of black metal france isn't really a place that gets hugely credited with its kind of metal bands but personally i've got hugely into the death metal band separation from from france in, in recent years and discovered through them lots of other pockets of like interesting bits of death metal that kind of popped up and i wonder if similar to like the new wave of british heavy metal scene did did france have a a, a scene going into like at the same time and yeah I, I think and maybe just dipping under the radar slightly it's something i'd i'd definitely be interested to look into and if you you know more bands in like this kind of vein from this time period from france that were really good like please hit me up and let me know about them <laughs> Yeah. 
really want to get that bit in the clip where the guitar just like sort of breaks out the bonds of the song basically in that solo. It's amazing stuff. So next up is easily the most famous band on this list. This is the 1984 debut from Queensryche, The Warning. So Queensryche are one of those bands that I couldn't get into for years and actually kind of one of the bands that really stuck in mind is this sort of change in my taste in recent years of... I'd listen to stuff like Eyes of a Stranger and be like, ah, it's not for me. And then, like, two years ago, got into Operation Mindcrime and just obsessed with it. I listen to it all the time now. I, I really, really like that album. And recently, I finally had the opportunity to sort of go back and check out some of their other stuff. So I went for their, their debut four years earlier, The Warning. And what's interesting is, I'll probably come back to Minecraft at another time, I do want to talk about it in depth, even though obviously it's an album that's been kind of almost covered to death. But that album really sits there at that start of that like wave of American progressive metal, you know, your Dream Theater, Fate's Warning, that kind of stuff. Like it, it feels in a vein with that. So what I wasn't expecting with the debut, I was expecting kind of you know, a slow build up to that essentially. The 1984 debut feels so influenced by Iron Maiden. And maybe this is the the small reference, Paul Ving. This, you know, I know Iron Maiden set out, but I don't know my new wave of British heavy metal that well. But there is so much about this that just seems to lean towards that sound. Jeff Tate, the vocalist, sounds so much like Bruce Dickinson on this album, particularly kind of first couple of albums, Bruce Dickinson. The, the the opening track warning and actually on force as well all have like they're all built around these kind of like galloping rhythmic structures with these like very prominent um bass often like going kind of quite right like it, it feels like steve harris bass lines as, as well just the way the songs are formed so perfectly sort of encapsulates like that kind of number of the beast era made and and similarly, we have the the kind of very varied like approach to um, to sort of lyrics. Like, there's lots of bizarre different topics all like kind of all over the place throughout this album. Uh, it's it's a really cool release though, as much as it's like to my mind sort of very much um, you know aping an influence. There's so many things about it that are completely amazing, like. Firstly, you can't get past it. Jeff Tate's vocal performance is fucking ludicrous on this. I know people like there'll be some people like, no, it's just too showy. He throws in so many ridiculous highs, like it's all over the place. He's he's so front and center as well that like he completely dominates the mix. There's parts where his voice is like, like sort of it'll be double tracked, so it's like not not two voices doing the same thing, but like two different vocal lines. Possibly that's uh. Chris DeGarman, who is credited with backing vocals, but there'd be like two cool vocal lines going that are doing completely different things. But the vocals are so front and center in the mix that you cannot hear what the music's doing behind it. And that sounds like they would absolutely ruin an album, but I feel this performance is so ludicrously good that they sort of get away with that. I think a big thing that separates this from, say, the the other two bands we were just speaking about is the way the guitars are written. So, like, the guitar duo on this album of uh, Chris Garman and um, Michael Wilton are amazing. They are, they are brilliant guitarists. But 
the solos aren't these kind of like ultra shred like showing off every every ability and just how fast they can play the album is very tastefully written there's a lot of melodic leads and there's a lot of solos but they they are done just in a way that's far more um about creating great memorable melodies and that that's what um the warning is full of it's just absolutely amazing melodies like the 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 opening track warning like the solo in that is is a perfect example of that kind of difference where like i don't know that they felt they had as much to prove on that front they were trying to write this kind of very memorable classic album it's got ups and downs as well like i there's there's some interesting stuff going on there's a track towards the middle nm 156 where like things get quite out there the lyrics and it almost comes across with that kind of mixture of talking about like it's about like kind of robots and artificial intelligence and kind of quite overly wordy lyrics which really feels like something like nevermore would be doing sort of 15 years after the fact and it is quite interesting to hear that like that same approach particularly in the vocals like almost reminds me of like how Warrell Dane would construct his lyrics in that very overly verbose manner then you have a track like take hold of the flame which is more of that kind of like american hard rock ballad but where other bands would fall over on that kind of track actually these guys really pull off what is kind of possibly the most classic track on the album it's not my personal favorite but it's one that's you know certainly sort of really taken people and then say something like no sanctuary I think is quite interesting because it starts showing where the band would go, what they would like. This this song feels like it could have been part of Operation Mindgrind. They they start producing their own kind of more progressive metal sound here, rather than kind of keeping themselves so deeply rooted in there's a sort of new wave of British heavy metal esque, like Maiden esque sound. It the thing is as well, like this feels far more polished and I, I i guarantee there's good reason for that like it probably was more of a budget behind it and it's a little bit later on in time but late the album came out late september 84 so you know a year and a bit on from some of those others but like the rhythm section sounds really great on this like uh bass player eddie jackson has a really cool place in the mix and is often doing something really interesting to say like moments of like aping kind of steve harris playing which you know never a bad thing in this kind of thing and uh scott rockenfield has like a very decent drum performance like there's loads of really memorable drum fills and he the two of them produce this fantastically solid backbone to the band like it's no surprise i i guess this band continue to evolve and become kind of a legendary thing in the scene and this debut shows a hell of a lot of promise and surprising unsurprisingly once they stop just aping their influence and really find their own sound they they put out an album that is like become utterly sort of legendary in the progressive metal field but this one's really fun to go back to as an artifact like anything this old i'm always amazed when it's like at that higher level of quality because obviously there was so many more barriers to entry on recording uh, back then you didn't have any of the the digital things to help you along Since upon his face 
so following on from that is another really well-known debut that I've just got into sort of in recent years. This is Jag Panzer with Ample Destruction. It's sort of interestingly, similarly to Koonsreich, they have a 1983 like debut EP, which is self-titled and also very legendary. And then sort of 1984, they put out an album that becomes like really well-known. Jagpan's a slightly different trajectory with Koonsreich, whereas they would sort of build to their classic... These guys would famously completely shit the bed on the second album, then have to sort of work back the goodwill. But like many of you, they sort of, I, well, I, I imagine at any rate, like I'm familiar with some of Jagpan's later work, like kind of like their, some of their early 2000s uh, albums like Mechanized Warfare and Casting the Stones, where they kind of feel like a kind of very classic prog power metal band. Whereas Ample Destruction is quite a different beast, despite a very similar lineup. Um, the guitar, like one of the guitarists, bass player, and singer, have been consistent for this band for almost uh, sort of all their their career. But like Ample Destruction is a far more kind of classic heavy metal style album, and there's certainly some nods to uh, like the you kind of your new wave of British heavy metal scene, but. This does feel like this is slightly more kind of modern than, say, the Queensryche album by by comparison. I think it's kind of in how, like how the the guitars sort of played, mixed, all of that. There, just feels like a a kind of lean towards kind of sort of the fresh metal and and maybe even the sort of like Pantera sound. Like there's a there's a lot of like pinch harmonics. They like I. I assume it's not that down tuned because I don't think many bands weren't particularly low, but they do. They the guitars sound lower and heavier for this era, and there's just more of a distinctly metallic quality to them throughout this album. Also, the 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 vocal performance of um, the tyrant as as he goes by on this this album, uh, Harry Conklin, is incredibly sort of aggressive it's still it's still in the kind of entirely clean sung kind of register but he has this way of like switching between different styles of voices where he'll go into a kind of like kind of quite a intense high and then back to more of a clear understandable sort of mid-range voice and switch back and forth so fast it adds a, a sort of touch of brutality to it the the lyrical content as well is is so much more openly aggressive than anything else we we've covered before with with songs like symphony of terror reign of tyrants even cardiac arrest like there's a lot of very aggressive choruses based around killing often with um like both guitarists uh mark uh brody and uh joe tafola are doing backing vocals on this as well so there's some like cool like chanted like shouting vocals and the choruses often have these like very simplistic refrains that get stuck in your head um and and even like the presentation of the 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 album cover of this like sort of quite simplistically drawn but uh, striking enough uh image of the four horsemen it's yeah it's just got a far more sort of apocalyptic aggressive vibe to it Something I really like about his album as well is like the rhythm section sound really full on it. Uh, bass player John uh, Tetley is almost like the loudest thing in the mix. Like his, his bass cuts through really well. And he, he's regularly adding really interesting stuff. Actually, the the drum performance of Richard Hillard is um, 
is is great like it's not like the most flashy in the world but it just does loads of stuff that really serves the uh the song well like the tom rolls through symphony of terror or that more like for the track generally generally hostile great song name he's just doing that like overkill um the motorhead song style beat the whole way through with this like really full-on double kick which after like listening to this in preparation versus a lot of the other ones it was really cool to hear that like kind of quite present kick drum sound like and at that really fast pace throughout it yeah and interestingly he's he's a guy who hasn't hasn't gone on to that much outside of this he's kind of he's on the demos and um the ep in this album and not really not really credited with anything else which um James, he sounds like a really tight drummer on this as well. This sounds like avoids going too much into the the kind of melodic departures. There's there's a bit of um like there's a bit of an intro to the final track, the crucifix. It takes a while to build up, but in the the final four minutes, it's it's fully back to the kind of shredding fury the guitarist as well adds so much kind of like bombast and ridiculousness as i say like it's it's lots of these little things like throwing in all the pinches and like dive bombs and just random squeals throughout the songs i, I don't know when they've got two guitarists throwing that about like I, it really adds something something cool to riffs that otherwise could be like maybe a little simplistic in places and the, the lead work is it's it's very showy. The two guitarists are clearly like trying to outdo each other with these like shredding solos, but they keep the aggression up throughout the, the an album calling itself ample destruction. It fits that like this in its forty minute runtime, it's all focused on that, and yeah, it it really fits. Uh, I think this album has like a kind of legendary status now, and because the band sort of sound quite different when they they sort of um you know got back to a level of quality with their their third album uh the fourth judgment in 1997 my god that's a huge amount of time on yeah yeah there was like <laughs> sorry this is me not not sort of knowing the history of them too well i sort of know their 2000s out but yeah but so there's like a huge amount of time passes from this and they despite the similar lineup they're a quite different band as a far more sort of rooted in that sort of heavy american power metal sound whereas this is yeah i'd say classic heavy metal but you know with an eye to the future with that that kind of heavy metallic edge so yeah if you like like stuff a bit more brutal i think this would be of the ones i recommended so far definitely the album to start with <laughs>
Next album I want to cover is Turbo from Poland with their third album, 1986's Cavalleria Satana or Satan's Cavalry. Sorry, this one I have a bit of trouble with because I really struggle with Polish names and I've had to run a lot of the, the song titles through Google Translate. But um, yeah, this album I got into very recently and have become utterly obsessed with. It's this really cool kind of mix of like it's a band clearly showing all their influences like there is there is some real nods to 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 iron maiden i mean the intro to the second track on this album is like this cool bass intro that sounds incredibly steve harris but then then the third track almost um like like i think it's third or fourth track that sounds really reminiscent of accepts balls to the wall with like this sort of you know heavy chanting section in the middle of the song uh the opener soldier of fortune is just fucking brilliant such a good song what this band really have going for them is they probably of the lot like the most um aggressive vocal approach the the so all the lyrics, all the vocals are in Polish, and the vocal delivery is is like absolute shriek throughout it. The, the vocalist has this sort of one delivery style, this just intense screaming. Like it's not a death metal vocal as such; it is still singing, but it's all in this high register with such kind of bombast and attack. And then to like kind of give us some more like catchy melodics the the two guitarists add backing vocals that are kind of singing in a more like middling register like a, a kind of cool catchy note to like, go along with um what's amazing about this album is for like you know something from poland for this time period it sounds incredibly professional like um you know if i'm comparing this to like the stories of vader trying to record early on and they're sort of you know buying like trading vodka for the use of like an awful eight track this actually sounds like really professional they're in like a they're clearly in a very good studio to capture all of this or 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 whoever's doing the work on it has has some real skill and talent and the band members themselves are such good players like the 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 two guitarists are just fantastic like their their leads on this are amazing like i i absolutely love the solos on this album i love the riffing the drum and bass performance is is absolutely brilliant like the vocals take a minute to get your head around but honestly they're, they're such a perfect fit and it has such like maybe you kind of like that jag panzer album although that i'd say felt very forward thinking this does feel like a product of an era but just almost like the perfect taking all the influences from that era and just doing the best most like angry aggressive thing with it the the lyrics all have this very kind of satanic warlike theme to them like finally translating the the title that is explained the, the incredibly odd cover of this like skeletal figure and military garb or in front of like a hillside i assume he's he's like the leader of the satanic cavalry but there's more of a more of a consistent sort of theming to the lyrics which i i quite i quite like i feel it, it feels less all over the place although i must confess i understand none of it like but yeah it's just got like it's all over the place like there's so so much variety between songs but they all seem they all sit in quite a heavy 
register and yeah just the playing is so good it's so well constructed there's just always so much going on in the song like if you, you the chorus of like satan's cavalry has this great sort of like the two guitarists adding these like chanting vocals that are almost like in call and response with the lead vocalist and while the drums and guitar are playing more simply you're getting these real like um evil that men do style like shredding bass fills in between but then other songs that you like whenever any member of the band is locking things down another is showing off or throwing in these kind of cool things but they they're always they, they are showy they are self-indulgent but they're just done with such kind of bombast and like and skill and there's just there's a level of energy to this that just works so well for me um and then the mix really helps things as well like we have a really full drum sound it it has that 80s thing of the the toms are like so echoey it's kind of ridiculous but if it's the music you you kind of you know what you're getting with this. It, it does have that kind of like Tony Martin era um, Sabbath almost sound of the drums, although a lot faster and it is more raw. This isn't, this is hardly like a kind of, you know, perfect, pristine recording, but it's it's nice and loud and everyone's clear on it and it it kind of feels like it was what they were going for and the album ends in fantastic fashion with the the close of galactic gates which is this really sort of riffy instrumental track where the rhythm section get to like show off and the guitars like you know sit in a more kind of like rather than being just shreddy solos are doing just cool riff after cool riff while the rhythm section go a bit wild and it just means the album has no let up like the it's 40 minutes of entirely kind of cool aggressive metal it's 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 fantastic stuff the band themselves have a huge career as well like i wasn't i really wasn't familiar with turbo until as i say very recently but you know they've they've got about 15 albums i think they've been going relatively consistently since 1980 i've not delved into any of the the rest of the catalog but it seems it seems very well regarded and i think what helps is like they haven't exactly had a consistent lineup but a lot of the members present on this album have had a hand in it over the years like unsurprisingly you know you go for 40 years you'll have <laughs> have have changes in that but um it's certainly a catalog i'll be digging into a lot more in future <laughs> Stay 
moving on a few years to 1988 um i'm gonna go the band genocide with their debut and so far only album black sanctuary um there is like a million and one bands called genocide so these guys sensibly changed their name to genocide nippon um so yeah that's what's to search you find if you want to find them there's a japanese band unsurprisingly and what, what's kind of funny about this band is i've seen like this album referred to as a few like a few places of like a heavy metal band with like a a vocalist who's like more out there than king diamond which i think underplays how ridiculously out there king diamond is as a vocalist like the singer of this band is um uh toshiro takinuchi is incredible is all over the place he's a wild vocalist but so is King Diamond, and I don't think he gets quite—I don't think he has quite that ridiculous a range. But it, it's a comparison that's kind of worthy to make, or at least something that would help uh, help put you in the kind of the mindset of what you're going into with this album. So we've um, Black Sanctuary, Genocide, are playing kind of—it's a relatively stripped back kind of heavy metal. They've got um, they've got a kind of big harsh like guitar tone like there it's quite a full sounding album despite a kind of clearly rough and ready recording like i don't know i i do like how the guitar sounds a lot on this but it's it's often very simplistic in places like a lot of sort of mid-paced kind of chugging riffs but that vocal performance is just so overbearing like he he goes all over the place with it he'll just like run up and down his range almost completely at random in places throwing in these these amazing highs and then getting to kind of a more more sinister like mid-range and and sometimes just just full-on like sort of shrieking and this can all happen in the space of like the syllables of a word he'll go through all these different things it's it's quite an incredible performance and it gives the album like a real sort of intensity to it what's interesting as well is like from that description i think you'd probably expect this to be one of those ones that sits in the kind of heavier register throughout but actually the band do the kind of melodic quite well there's a track called landscape of life halfway through the album where they kind of really slow things down it's all acoustic guitars and gentle melodic leads and he actually sings quite gently and nicely for the first half of it before it gets a bit more heavy um, and more kind of leaning on the distorted guitar in the second half of the song the guitar work is kind of very shredding and all over the place but it's not like that kind of it's not ridiculously technical, flashy. These guys can just play very fast. A lot of it kind of just feels like random explosions of notes when they they throw some sort of leads in there. But I do like the variation, as I mentioned. There's like some there's some quite like random bursts of acoustic guitar, and then there's these sort of absolutely bizarre thing like um, silent falling. The instrumental towards the end is is just suddenly this beautiful passage of acoustic guitars and keyboards that like out of nowhere, and then then just switches straight back into living legend where we get the most of the high-pitched shrieking probably one of like the more heavier in your face moments of the album so like it's giving you a little bit of break before going into the the sort of final assault the version i've got as well has an incredibly striking cover of a very historic looking samurai image of this character decapitating people but the original cover to the album as well is quite um I, I don't know, striking in its own way. Like I think that there's a cool aesthetic going on with with Black Sanctuary. I've got no idea sort of what the lyrics are about. Like all the song titles are in English, but they they have like 
titles like A Bullet in the Wrong Heart or Last Confusion. So I don't know if it's that kind of like sort of English being sung by people who don't really speak it. Or it, they, the songs might well not be in English, just the titles. I I really I really can't tell from the vocal delivery. It's so all over the place. It's extremely hard to pick words out of. This is a more rough and ready one than almost like anything else we've covered. The drums in it are just like a distant rumble, like deep in the mix, and the bass is quite lost behind that wall of overbearing guitar and vocals. But there's something really fun to be found in this if you can look past the kind of raw nature of it. <laughs> So we're going to stay in the same country in relatively similar time period with the next one. This is Hunting Time by Anthem from 1989. So very different kind of beats, this one. Anthem, been going for a very long time, started in 1981, and I think this is their like fourth album, and they're one of those bands that just sort of kept going. They're, they're possibly more albums than Turbo, but a very different approach to Turbo and uh, Genocide. This is probably the closest we're getting to something that might touch on the kind of like hair metal sound or like tropes of that genre to some extent. Although, don't let you put this off, this is still like an incredibly rocking, very like heavy metal album. It's just got that kind of real... Um, huge sounding mix to it it's it's got all the big big vocal harmonies massive massive hooks in the chorus uh very flashy kind of bits of guitar work a lot of stuff where like you know you get like the huge kind of uh tom fills and like big bass sound that like make these very cratchy parts and like that kind of echoing bits of synth added um added over certain parts to uh to bring things up but you know what what sets this apart from you know all the trap all those kind of trappings is the fact it's still really fast it's still quite kind of aggressive in places it's still it's still got that kind of very heavy metal nature to it i think what really makes this have that somewhat more accessible edge is um uh vocalist yuki moriaka's like performance he, he's got a very traditionally 
great singing voice and just the the laden these songs with brilliant vocal hooks and actually bass player Nato Shibata adds in some cool slightly lower vocals that often do like a kind of trade off like saying the the kind of pre-chorus of hunting time they have a really cool back and forth where he, like he sort of does his backup vocals in English that were quite a quite a contrast to the lead but the, you say the drums are they're fairly intense and actually the drum performance I think is possibly the really really striking thing about this album like uh Takamasa Uchi um like does this thing where his drumming like like often his drum fills are like the perfect sort of build to the next section they don't they don't feel like something showy is just added in there it's like all the instruments will sort of rise following the rhythm of the fill and then we're into the next section like it's really kind of cool stuff like unsurprisingly guitarist uh hero uh fukadawa like is, is very gifted his solos are immensely flashy while you know remaining melodic but interestingly actually with this album it's the only one we've covered today it's a single guitarist band rather than everything else has been the sort of the two guitar attack which might be why they felt the need to layer like sort of keyboards throughout this to really sort of fill out that sound like particularly particularly in chorus sections or like the end of these big build-ups like it, it it sort of really works they have that also that sort of classic japanese tropes to say of throwing in like a lot of english lyrics and the lyrics the english lyrics don't really make sense but there's something about the presentation of this where it's like that doesn't matter in the slightest that like these songs are super catchy and having a couple of words to latch on to means like i don't know for me they just get stuck in my head so much the the aforementioned hunting time the title track is just like absolutely brilliant unsurprisingly for an album like this they do have a couple of tracks to get a bit more mellow tears for Lo lovers and uh let your heart break are the two which would you know be obvious like sort of ballad tracks but once again it's the drum performance that makes this really great of like they don't go for that sort of really stripped back thing they, these these songs still have this quite full sounding like tight groove to them that give them quite a sort of you know driving rhythm throughout so it never goes full-on kind of syrupy kind of over-the-top nonsense it feels still you know relatively in your face this, this album never lets up and the the progression of the album is structured really well so we've tears for lovers bring it down a bit you then followed up by sleepless night which is at this really quick pace with this this you know really rapid like double kick throughout the whole song and um the bottle bottom the the final track sort of does similar following up through the next kind of slightly more melodic moment yeah it's it's just an incredibly catchy album like i worry sort of some of the comparisons i made might make it sound uh, unfavorable but i i think this anthem album is is genuinely brilliant it's just to my mind it's probably the most commercially kind of accessible of all the ones we we've sort of covered today but that that isn't in essence a problem Okay, so we're going to cover one more album today, and I'm not sure it entirely fits the theme, and it's quite a time jump from the rest of these, but I've wanted to talk about it for ages, so I'm going to stick it here at the end. Uh, this is The Lord Weird Slough Feg with their fourth album, Traveller. So, um, this it's one of those things, I was like, well, this is a kind of modern album by comparison, it's from 2003, but... 2003 is now 20 years ago so by many many standards it's it's now quite an old album as well and it's definitely a band that 
fit in the classic heavy metal mold mike scalzi vocalist and guitarist like sort of main main guy behind the project um he's very pointedly with almost everything i've heard from this band leaning back to a slightly sort of more archaic sound at this point in time particularly with like his later later albums like there is there is a very noticeable attempt to recapture like an older style and this has that sort of it it feels like something was not recorded sort of in that very modern digital manner there is there is a lot a lot of like classic heavy metal tropes to how this album sounds the the lineup also features at this point in time john cobbett who was doing triple duties between the legendary black metal band ludicra and the sort of early years of hammers of misfortune at this point mike was also singing for hammers of misfortune who are a band i'm completely obsessed with and really want to do an episode on at some point so like that's definitely one one for the future but yeah this is a very different beast to hammers like hammers are very sort of progressive this is more rooted in kind of just big riffs massive chorus kind of rocking stuff the the sort of prog nature to this album i'd say comes from the lyrical matter which is fucking ridiculous but brilliant so the album's called traveler it is based on the role-playing game of the same name traveler where you get to like play as sort of a spacefaring sort of, sort of i assume characters in a group of uh spacefaring traders or battling and the big thing that this this um this album's based around like the players get to assume various roles such as human robot aliens or genetically engineered species and this seems to be really focusing on the genetically engineered species bit of the story these these human animal hybrids like the front cover features a kind of like space warrior type person with a dog's head like and that is what this album is about which as you can imagine leads to some fairly ridiculous lyrical matter but it's just brilliant it is absolutely brilliant i i i love the this sort of unapologetically nerdy nature of this album the the delivery is so sincere and over the top and mike has this fantastic voice he's so clear but yet so kind of bombastic and huge sounding and he's created these really fun lyrics like the the songs don't fit so much like a verse chorus structure they sort of go all over the place to fit in this great story like um it covers so many things and like often there isn't a huge amount of repeating parts but bizarrely that seems to have no effect on it being catchy um also sort of in contrast to everything we're talking about today like and this is because it's much more modern it sounds huge by comparison like the the guitars the bass the drums everything are really well captured and so the grooves have this real weight behind it where the sort of the drums and bass just filling out that sound so nicely the two guitarists are incredibly skilled as well so like there's a lot of intricacy to what they're playing but stuff like solos are not not a big part of this whereas like say certain hammers albums give a lot of time to lead guitar but there's definitely solos on this but they're not 
they're not the main focus of attention but they there's just that level of intricacy in how the sort of the the riffs are constructed and there are just so many <laughs> riffs on this album as i say because it's got that slightly sort of all over the place kind of like you know the songs aren't as I say, verse, chorus, or like the riff A to B to C, D, F, like, there's there's just hundreds of them. So, yeah, there's there's something, something very tricky and intricate about that, which I just really enjoy. In many ways, I'd say this album is the most, like, sort of openly cheesy of all the ones we covered today. And it's not even just that, it's, as I that really earnest vocal delivery, like, a lot of the riffs are very, sort of, major, scaly, like, just super, kind of, melodic and with those super earnest vocals like stuff like the professor's theme or the ridiculous pun of genocide um final gambit all these tracks have these bits that are like they are so far from being cool and but it's perfect like that that combination with the subject matter which is like like really throwback sci-fi as well because it's an album from 2003 the traveler was a 1977 game like it's um it's a very different era of sci-fi to the the sci-fi that was popular in in the early 2000s this is a lot of it has like kind of throwback energy to the 70s not just musically it, it's kind of it's in a lot of it and i i don't know the commitment the band had made here is fantastic the the themes as well work really well because the album is structured in such a way it, it all flows together. You're never going to listen to a single song from this album. It's 44 minutes, you're just going to put the whole thing on because it all flows into each other. It's hard to really know where one song starts and then like stops and the next one starts. They're just they're they're very continuous and that that works so well with it being a concept album where lyrically we're having characters reappear. The the lyrics are somewhat confusing. There's a lot of like switching of which character is speaking and i like i i do do find the story as a whole a little hard to follow but i i wonder if it's something that's more clearly explained in the lyric book like it really um because I've, I've only got a digital copy it really could do with with something where it like it literally says who is speaking as you go through it but but it's, it's a cool concept and you know really really striking it's not cool, no. I, I feel like it's a contra concept I find very interesting. It's definitely not cool. <laughs> like, Ludicura were kind of cool. This was uh, definitely John Cobbett not getting any cred. Um, like, but, but uh, yeah, I, I love it. Like, again, as well, it's, you know, this is 2003. This is so, like... I, like I, I said this about quite a few albums but i always find this with that late 90s early 2000 period i love watching any bands do stuff like this where it seems like the least commercially viable thing in metal ever like you know we, we are talking about like kind of the height of metalcore really or just going into it would be the d dominant force of, of uh, music at the time particularly you know it's american band san francisco based like you know, like, Metalcore was about to take over the States at this point in time, and these guys are like, okay, well, what we're gonna do is an album that throws back to kind of mid-80s guitar tones and riffs, and has, has like, lyrics inspired by 70s kind of, like, uh, space opera type stuff. Like, it's just, yeah, completely out there. But, it, I, for me, it's really stood the test of time. I've, I've not listened to 
every Slalfeg album, but I've I've given most of them a fair go, and for 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 me, this this holds up as the absolute best. Like, they've got some they've got some really decent ones over the year. Uh, Toilet of the Idols uh, as a slightly earlier one, I really enjoy, and relatively more recent 2010s the animal spirits i really like as well but um yeah i think if if you want to start a point with this band it's, it's got to be traveler because it's just it's just such a complete work and it just feels so kind of like ambitious whereas like so the other two they aren't they aren't sort of concept albums in the same way and i think there's there's something about this band which does really lend itself to that kind of thing Right, that's enough rambling. Anything John Cobbett related, I definitely have a uh, tendency to go off on one about, I'm afraid. Um, I hope you've enjoyed this episode. It's one I definitely felt rather out of my depth on. I don't, pre-about 1988, I don't have a particularly like encyclopedic knowledge of, of the bands and that, so a lot of these were, were sort of from scenes that um i haven't delved that deeply into like i i stand by all these albums being very good but i realized when describing them my reference pool is relatively limited and a lot of them i might be missing some very obvious history with i mean there's loads of information to find about queens right for example but i absolutely refuse to read any interviews with them because oh my god that like the fallout between them was just so all all over the internet for so long i i I can't (laughs) i can't face interviews that bad so yeah i'm probably missing some very very obvious information there but you know there's always the point with this podcast is to describe the music more so than than necessarily the history so yeah I, i i hope i hope that wasn't too sort of all over the place and maybe maybe that like like myself this might be a good primer to get into some kind of more of that classic um heavy metal sound um as i say like there was you know if you've got examples of similar bands or any of these you really enjoy please hit me up with them I, I'd, I'd love to know you can get in touch with um at breakfast metal on twitter phil's breakfast metal on facebook or at phil's breakfast metal at gmail.com if you want to uh send a longer message um yeah it'd be really good so yeah let me know if there's there's anything um you'd like me to cover as well um otherwise thanks a lot for listening <laughs>